Good morning. Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Today I want to talk to us, myself, I'm preaching to myself as well, about the benefits of spiritual warfare. We're at the end of the series on spiritual warfare, and so I thought it might be good for us to reflect on that. After the death of Moses, God had appointed Joshua to lead Israel into a land flowing with milk and honey. But it was also a land teeming with lots of enemies and some very big, scary ones at that. Remember the ten spies that went into the land of the twelve? Ten of them came back and said, there's no way we can take the land. The people in the land, they're big, they're huge. There's no way. We're like grasshoppers in their sight. In fact, those same seven nations were not only big, they were exceedingly wicked and evil. They were so bad, in fact, that God commanded Israel to completely destroy them because they had not only defiled themselves, they had defiled the land. That's why Joshua had to be very strong and courageous and not tremble or be dismayed. And as they say, remember, the bigger and stronger the enemy, the more glorious will be the victory. God did not abandon Joshua to do this on his own. In fact, God was very much there to help Israel. And nothing could be more dramatic than the very first battle that they encountered in the promised land and how surprising and how miraculously God intervened. You know the story, kids. It's the story about the battle of Jericho. It was a huge city walled in with a huge stone wall. There was nothing Israel could do to knock that wall down. So God has them win this battle in a very surprising way. He tells them that he's going to lead them into battle and that all of the treasures of Jericho were to be given to the Levites. They were devoted to the Lord for the worship of the Lord. And you remember the story. They were to march around the city seven times, or seven days. And so the first six days, they marched around the city, and all you could hear was the sound of the trumpets that the priests were to play as they marched around the city. Can you imagine being Jericho, looking over that wall, wondering, what the heck is this? This is... No one had ever done this before. So here they are, six days, they march around with the sound of trumpets. The seventh day, they were to march around seven times. And on the seventh time, they went around, and they were blowing the trumpets. And on the seventh lap, God instructed them to give a shout. And with the trump of God and the shout of Israel, the walls fell down flat. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 30, the hall of faith, we read these words, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the people had marched around them seven days. By God's grace and by the obedience of faith, 
Hear that. By God's grace and the obedience of faith, Jericho was defeated. And this was a great victory, wasn't it? A good token that God would be with Israel in the conquest of the land. Victory would be theirs as long as they followed the Lord. And while this is a stunning victory, the very next story is a shocking defeat. You can imagine Israel's feeling pretty confident, right? Pretty proud. Hey, look at what just happened. So they're going to go up to this little city called Ai, little tiny little city. They said, hey, we'll go up, we'll take it, and the rest of you stay home. We only need 3,000 of us. This will be a piece of cake. They went up and attacked Ai, and what happened? They were soundly defeated, and they fled back to Joshua. And of course, Joshua was concerned, and Joshua cried out to the Lord, what happened? I thought you were going to be with us. And what did we learn? There was sin in the camp. Remember, all of the things that were to be devoted to the Lord in Jericho were not all given to him. In fact, some of it had been stolen. So in due process, they found out that it was a guy named Achan. Achan had stolen some of the treasures. And what happened? He and his household were utterly condemned and frankly left under a pile of rubble. Then Israel was able to go back up and win the battle of Ai. Wow, everything's fine, right? Everything's good. Well, not exactly. Because the very next story (laughs) is the story of how Joshua got snookered by the Gibeonites. Remember when they were to go into the land... They weren't supposed to make covenants with anybody. They were to go in and conquer it and eradicate the enemies. But the Gibeonites, in a very cunning way, came and deceived Joshua. And Joshua made a treaty because Joshua failed to seek the Lord. So the Old Testament is filled with all these kinds of stories. Stories of great victories, and we rejoice in those, but... Thankfully, the Bible is very honest about the failures as well. Why does God put all these stories in the Bible? Well, I'm glad you asked, especially all these war stories. Because, and this is my hope for you today, God desires that you be encouraged and hopeful as you humbly endure spiritual warfare. Should I say it again? You need to be encouraged and hopeful, but humble. Read with me Romans 15, verse 4. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through what? Endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Another passage tells us how to read the Old Testament. 1 Corinthians 10, 11. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down For our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. So God is is not hiding the ball from us. He wants us to know what's going on. And one of the most interesting passages of Scripture that I think is in the Bible about spiritual warfare is found in our text today, and this is really what I want us to focus on. Judges chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Hear the word of the Lord. 
Now, these are the nations that the Lord left to test Israel by them. That is, all in Israel who had not experienced all the wars in Canaan. It was in order that the generations of the people of Israel might know war, to teach war to those who had known it, not known it before. These are the nations, the five lords of the Philistines and all the Canaanites and the Sidonites and the Hivites and who lived in Mount Lebanon from Mount Baal Hermon as far as Lebo Hamath. They were there for the testing of Israel to know whether Israel would obey the commandments of the Lord, which he commanded their fathers by the hand of Moses. So the people of Israel lived among the Canaanites, the Hivites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And, verse 6, their daughters they took to themselves for wives, and their own daughters they gave to their sons, and they served their gods. Interesting. Now remember, the book of Judges is written after the conquest of the land. Joshua indeed had come in, and he had been uh, courageous and strong, and they had conquered the land under Joshua. All the necessary victories were won, but he did not do what God had commanded. Even though the seven nations were conquered, they were not eradicated. God's Justice in this situation was to be a full-scale holy war against the guilty Canaanites. By the way, their complete destruction is a picture, isn't it? It's an image. It's a foreshadowing of what? Of the last judgment. When our greater Joshua, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, will return to judge the world in righteousness. Jesus will finish the job that Joshua did not do, and all God's enemies will be destroyed. That's why today is a great day. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the opportunity to find mercy from God, to turn from your sin, and throw yourself on the mercy revealed at the cross where God endured the wrath that he demanded. Whosoever believeth on him will not perish, but have everlasting life. So what do we think about this? I think it's important for us to realize that God is not surprised by Israel's partial obedience and failure. That's what this text teaches us. They were supposed to go in and do one thing. They didn't quite do what they were supposed to do, but God was not caught off guard. By the way, God is not surprised by your partial or failure obedience. God knows the end from the beginning. He's taken it all into account. In spite of yours and my weakness and stupidity and sin, God is still working all things together for his good and, and for his glory. And that by no means excuses us. There are very real consequences for being stupid and sinful. Just think of Achan and his household. And remember our warning from our text. Therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. But in spite of that, we need to take hope. 
God's will will not be frustrated. And that gives us hope to endure in the face of hardship, in the face of trial, in the face of national emergencies, that God's grace will finish what he has begun in us. So why is there spiritual warfare? And I think this text gives us two important insights. Spiritual warfare, the benefit of spiritual warfare is that it is the testing of your loyalty. Now, how many of you know God knows everything, including your loyalty? So who gets the benefit of understanding your loyalty? You do. This is to reveal to you who you truly are. Now, these are the nations that the Lord left to test Israel by them. They were for the testing of Israel to know whether Israel would obey the commandments of the Lord which he commanded their fathers by the hand of Moses. There was an incredible amount of pressure upon Israel as they entered the promised land to be just like the nations that they were supposed to displace. And the Lord warned Israel, if you don't displace them and you try to coexist with them, you'll become just like them. Does that sound familiar? And that's exactly what happened. We see in verse 6, and their daughters took and their daughters they took to themselves for their wives and their own daughters they gave to their sons and what? They served their gods. Israel made covenants with the pagans through marriage. And by the way, Israel's history is filled with the accounts of how they adopted the evil practices of the surrounding nations, worshiping the demonic idols and engaging in the perverse and wicked practices. The book of Judges recounts the realities of four centuries, almost five centuries of compromise, and it's a downward trajectory. Israel was stubborn and stiff-necked, the Bible says, and always wanted to do what was right, what? In their own eyes. That was exactly what they were not supposed to do. They were supposed to be a light to the Gentiles. And Israel was to raise up what? Godly offspring. But now they've got children with divided loyalties. So now let's think about this as Christians. That's interesting, preacher. What about today? Well, what did that trial fundamentally reveal? Who are they going to be loyal to? Whose approval and respect and acceptance do we crave? Jesus gets right to the heart of the matter. You are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. This is the first and great commandment. And let me ask you this morning, do you? And I would say as a Christian, I want to. <laughs> I don't always get there, but that's what I aspire to. I'm trying to love God with all of my heart. As believers, we got, by virtue of even just, just one command, we have to admit we are not saved because we are really good at spiritual warfare. We are saved by the grace and mercy of Almighty God. The amazing free gift of salvation, though, ought to overwhelm us. And it ought to cause us to love God. And the more we grow in grace, the more we understand who God really is, not who we want Him to be, the Holy One of Israel, 
who is righteous and true and just in all his ways. The more we understand who God is and we understand what he has done for us in the gospel, the more we will want to please him and to be holy as he is holy. That's a commandment both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. The more we appreciate the cross and the terrible price our Savior paid for our redemption, the more we want to love and please him. Only out of that deep abiding love can we fulfill the second commandment, right? Which is to love your neighbor as yourselves. Because we have been shown, shown tremendous mercy and grace, the least we can do is show that to others. Because God was exceedingly patient with us in our rebellion and sin, we have to be patient as God is at work in the souls of the people that we're praying for to come to faith. And because God got the truth to us, and it was the truth that set us free, we have a desire to proclaim that same truth and to be a faithful witness of Jesus Christ to the people that we love. That's the work of God's grace in our life. And we have not been given the spirit of fear, right? But of love and of power and of a sound mind. So we heed this warning in James 4. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? It's a hard word. We're at war with God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And without trying to get way off my notes, if you see the spirit that's at work in our age and in the church, it's almost as if the church can't bend over backwards enough to try to demonstrate friendship with the world and its, and its values. God help us. Who, to whom are we loyal? Where do our loyalties abide? The same temptations they had to want to coexist and to just fit in is the same pressures that every generation feels. If we lack the knowledge of God's grace and acceptance in Christ, then we're always going to be desperate for it and we're going to try to find it somewhere else. We'll try to find it even in the good things in this world. And yes, we can enjoy all the good things that God gives us in this world if... There's a big if. Everyone say if. <laughs> if we keep them in perspective. This life is ordained by God to reveal your loyalty and to drive you to Jesus Christ. In the end, nothing else matters. And the question today is, have you made Jesus the Lord of your life? The second thing this spiritual warfare spiritual warfare will reveal is it is a testing of your character. Verse 2 of our text says, it was, an or, it was only in order that the generation of the people of Israel might know war. Interesting. To teach war to those who had not known it before. Learning warfare is essential to being a follower of God, Old Covenant or New Covenant. We are in a battle. And to survive and to accomplish God's mission, 
Israel had to learn how to prosecute a war. In Exodus chapter 13, we read an interesting story. Remember, God had delivered Israel out of bondage, and we read this story. When Pharaoh let God go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. Remember when they took out of Egypt, they could have gone up the coast? Guess who lived on the coast? The Philistines. For God said, we're not going that way, for lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. Remember what what we're talking about here. For 400 years, the Israelites had been in Egyptian bondage. They had been discipled into slavery. They didn't know anything else. They had a slave's mind. They did not know how to live as God's free men. And in order to be free, according to this text, you better learn how to fight. Because it's a war. Israel was commanded and, and God developed them so that they might prosecute wars in the name of Jehovah and to pass that knowledge on to their children. You too are to learn spiritual warfare as a soldier of Jesus Christ and to model faith and faithfulness in the midst of your struggles for the sake of the children that are watching you and your grandchildren. God ordained Israel to have perilous situations in order to teach Israel how to prosecute and endure warfare. And by the way, there's nothing like the hardships of war to reveal the true character of a man. Are you brave? Are you strong? Are you loyal? Are you disciplined? Now remember, spiritual warfare does not save you, but it does reveal if you are saved. And if you're not in the fight of your life for your soul, then you're already defeated and you're already a captive. Before I was a Christian, I was clueless. I was oblivious. I had no idea of the struggle and the unseen powers and principalities and all that was going on around me. I was, I, why? Because I was bound in sin. I was lost. When you are woke, you're awakened to the reality of the spiritual warfare that we're all engaged in. Israel was born as a nation by God's grace for the sake of the promises made to Abraham. God delivered Israel out of Egyptian bondage just as he delivered you as a Christian out of your bondage to sin. God sanctified and matured Israel through their struggles in the promised land because he could have just gone before them with the coronavirus, wiped out all the seven nations, right? And Israel could have just waltzed right into the land without any conflict. But God's not into that. God is in the process of raising up people who know how to fight. You do know the second most commonly used metaphor for the people of God in the New Testament, the first one is family. We're brothers and sisters and family. But the second most used metaphor is army. Army. We're a family that knows how to fight. 
There's no neutrality in this war, by the way. No, uh, we can't flee to uh, Austria. We have to stand. And we have to stand because God, by his grace, has saved you by the work of his son. And this spiritual warfare that you're in doesn't make you the people of God, but it certainly does reveal you to be God's child. And according to my New Testament, it says every Christian, every Christian who has been born of the Spirit of God is more than a conqueror in Jesus Christ and an overcomer of this world. So war is both a picture of the coming judgment of God upon the wicked. It is also an occasion of valor and honor and sacrifice and selfless love. Now in the same way that Israel struggled with real temptation, I don't want to minimize. Our struggle is real and it's hard and nobody gets a free pass. In fact, Everyone, as I said, is engaged in this struggle. That's why Timothy chapter two, 2 Timothy 2.3 says, Share in sufferings as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Unfortunately, there are still many who are prisoners of, of sin and who love their captivity. I didn't know any better. They are ignorant of the freedom and the grace that God gives in Christ. Last Sunday, our dear sister, Jill Cannon, invited over a bunch of family and friends to her home. Uh, it was a little shock to me to find out that she had gone under hospice care, so uh, I felt very compelled to go. And there was Jill, facing down death, which the Bible calls our last enemy. And it wasn't what you might expect. There was no morbidity. There was no anguish. In fact, there was lots of laughter and love and worship. And I tell you, Jill was radiant. When I asked her, Jill, how are you doing? Is it well with your soul? She looked at me with those piercing eyes. And she smiled and she says... It is well with my soul. Frankly, I had no idea that she would be gone in just a few short days. She looked so good, I thought, how is she in hospice care? Oh, I have plenty of times to go back and see her. And she was gone. I was stunned. I was so glad, though, to hear her testimony of how in the face of death, Jill had a party. She mocked death to its face. Can you? Jill is an overcomer who kept her faith to the end. By God's grace, so can you. So let me conclude here. We're getting close to the end. <clears throat> I can hear the objection. It's my objection originally. It's, our, it's the human natural objection. Couldn't God have made a world where there was no spiritual warfare? And the simple and clear answer is no. No. Why? Because God has decreed the very best and most glorious plan that could ever, ever possibly be conceived. To bring himself 
maximum glory. And because he loves you and does all things for your good and his glory, his plan includes warfare. His perfect plan, his glorious plan includes warfare. Well, that's easy for him. He's God. He's way up there. We're down here. Oh, no. No. Remember, God himself entered this world and enjoined the warfare in the person of his son. And one of the titles of Jesus is, he is the captain of our salvation. Jesus led with unflinching courage. He laid down his life for his soldiers in his shed blood is our balm. He never lost a battle. He never retreated from the theater of war. And at the cross, Jesus endured the full wrath of the Father's justice and publicly defeated Satan. By his resurrection, Christ overcame sin and death and the grave. Then he ascended to heaven in glorious triumph and is seated at the right hand of the Father, undefeated and undefeatable. Jesus is the highest object of heaven's joy and worship. And now he has given you and me the princely privilege and honor to join in suffering with him and for him. The Bible says Christ goes forth conquering and to conquer. And he does so as we go forth with his word by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we go forth not to fight for victory. We fight from victory. And even the gates of hell themselves cannot prevail against God's militant earthly church. Romans 11 says it well. Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. So let me conclude with some application and kind of bring it home. And then I'm going to lead us into a season of prayer. And I've asked some of the brothers to come to help and I'll call you up when we do that. Spiritual warfare is largely done on our knees in prayer. And today, I think of all days, it would be very appropriate for us to spend some time in prayer. First, let's look at the battles. There's four spheres I want us to deal with. And the struggle is real. I know we joke about that. Oh, the struggle is real. No, it is real. It is very real. The first war you must fight is your war with your own personal sin, with your flesh, if you will. And you must wage a holy war, take no prisoners war against yourself, against your flesh. You are to close, engage, and and destroy the sin in your life. And by God's grace, you are a sin killer. Maybe for the kids, you're a sin ninja. And I like this one. You're a sin assassin. We are to mortify. We are to put sin to death in ourselves. And in order to remain Christ-free men, you have to learn how to fight to keep your liberty. Why? Because Satan and your flesh 
are constantly lurking and seeking to seduce you and take you back into the bondage from which Christ delivered you. So how do you do that? You use the means of grace that God has given. You spend time in his word. You sit under the preaching of the word. You hear the word from your brothers and sisters. You pray. You pray for yourself and you pray for others. And you seek God with your sins to be forgiven and to be delivered. You come and worship and you're here today. You need fellowship. A lot of sin is difficult and you need the encouragement of one another. You are the means of grace that God has given to somebody. Be there for them. Be available to them. And by the way, you can't fight something with nothing. Give yourself then to the work of the Lord. Give yourself to service and use the means he has given. Even as Abraham took the object of his greatest love, even his only begotten son, Isaac, and he laid him on the altar and he lifted up the knife of sacrifice in order to put to death the thing that he loved the most, we have to have the willingness to raise that knife and kill the sin that we have learned to love over the years. Men, can I hear an amen? If you are stuck in your sin, the Bible says that we are to help one another. And if you're here today and you're struggling and you've got a, a place in your life, an addiction or something that you're having trouble with, that's when you come to the elders and we will help you with your struggles. As a family and as, a, as married couples, you have to wage the war against Satan that comes against your family. How do we do that? Husbands, love your wives by praying with her, praying for her, even as you lay down your life for her and wash her with the water of the word. Provide for her and protect her spiritually, even as Christ did the church. And wives, respect and submit to your husbands as they lay down their lives for you, even as the church lays down her life in service of Christ. Vigilantly protect your marriage. Keep the fires burning. Date. Constantly reaffirm your love to each other. Die to yourself and purpose to meet each other's needs. Don't neglect one another except for seasons of prayer and fasting. And remember, God uses marriage, probably more than anything else, to sanctify you. No, your spouse is not your spiritual enemy. Although it can feel like that sometimes. Why? Because they know us best. They know what's true about us. And God puts us in marriages to grow us up. And there's a spiritual war against the family and against marriage. Raise your children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And don't exasperate them. Speak constantly to them of the Lord and his ways. Children, Obey your parents. Respect your parents. And parents, as you pray for your children, I think it's so sweet for the children to pray for their parents. Make your home an outpost of heaven. Make it a place where there's lots of love and hugs and discipline and laughter and hard work and seek to discover what is our kingdom mission as a family Families are God's dominion machines. God created you to rule, to have dominion, and the family is the nexus of where that starts. God has also made you a member of a church. 
You need to pray for the peace and purity of the church. The church is under attack. Pray that the church will stand strong and not try to please a world that is at war with Christ, that we would stand for biblical truth and not be ashamed, that we would stand for biblical practices, keep from gossiping and from factions. Pray for the elders and their families, and especially for their wives. I, can, I could list you a number of pastors just right off the top of my head whose wives are struggling, for literally, one, literally for her life. Satan is a punk and he attacks we need to pray for God to protect and then submit to those elders. Make it a joy for them to come to serve you. They give watch over your soul. Be a blue ribbon sheep in the church, not a goat. Amen? Find ways then to use your gifts. God's gifted you all. And we are to minister to one another. Some of you have opened your homes. Get in DNA groups. Be part of the worship. Serve in the children's ministries. And so share your life and your stuff and your time with the people that need it. God has planted us not only in a family, in a church, but in a community. And God wants us to be the salt and light in our neighborhoods and in our community. So pray for divine appointments, opportunities to share the gospel, practice hospitality and invite people in. Get involved in the community. Join clubs where you can be around other people who need to hear the gospel and need to see the light of Christ and represent the Lord faithfully with your love and your concern by your hard work and your good example. And then finally, we are plugged into a nation. We are plugged into a body politic. And the Bible commands you to pray for those who are in authority over you. Why? Do, don't you know that Satan would strategically go after the people that have the most influence so that he can try to expand his reach? Pray for those who have political authority over you, locally, in the state, and in the nation. Be salt and light to the world. Stand for righteousness. Vote. That's spiritual warfare. Vote. Stand for Christ. Vote for the most biblically uh, consistent candidates and the most righteous and holy policies. Stand and thank God that you have the right to use your vote to do that. In fact, some of you may even be called to serve in the, in the, in the public square. Getting, get equipped to be able to do that. So we have a lot of responsibility. There's a lot of warfare going around us and it impacts all of us from our personal life, our family, our church, and the community, and now as we see today in the nation. So remember, God desires you to be encouraged and hopeful as you humbly endure spiritual warfare. Yes, our life gets messy, it gets complicated, just as we would expect in a fallen world. But our lives have been bound up together here in this church in God's providence. So let's take the time to give grace to each other and encourage one another. Everybody in this room is dealing with something. We can take time. Some of you are dealing with spiritual struggles, some physical, some emotional, some financial, 
some relational. Nobody gets a free pass in the struggle of this life. The struggle is real. But what? Our victory is certain. So soldier on, dear Christian soldier today. Christ is your captain. You are his enlisted. And his spirit lives in you. And you will win. Even as the apostle said to the Roman church in Romans 16, and the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Let's pray.